the thing the RBI have been trying to do is throttle that currency from depreciating too aggressively, and that seems to be holding. Uh, I suspect the currency is still probably going to trend to go to, to go lower. But the domestic economy is in pretty good shape. You know, if you have a look at all of the high-frequency indicators in India, it's it's still tracking pretty strongly across PMI, across the GST collections, across electricity usage, and overall. Um, you know, growth is still forecast to be over 7%, which will make it the fastest growing economy in the region. So um, there's cause for optimism uh, for investors uh, outside of India to look at India and say it's weathering uh, the storm, albeit uh, vulnerable to the external shocks, particularly around commodity prices. So um, lots to watch out for, but it seems a little better environment, at least for the FDIs to come in. Okay, great. Thank you very much, Toby. Have a good weekend. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Societe Generale India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take another look around the regional stock markets. In Australia, the SX200 is off half a percent. Uh, stocks in Japan are rallying after a holiday yesterday. The Nikkei 225 right now is up over 2%, playing catch-up. Uh, the Cosby's down, though. That's off 0.1%. Looks like a small bounce uh, for Hong Kong stocks at the open with the Hang Seng up about 30 points or so in uh, an hour's time. Thank you very much for listening. Stay tuned uh, to Back Chats coming up after the news with Jim Gould and Andrew Work. Have a great weekend. I'll be back on Monday morning. The weather forecast, just before I go, mainly cloudy with uh, showers, a few squally thunderstorms. Those showers are going to be heavy at times. Uh, the maximum temperature is going to be around 29 degrees. And then a few showers tomorrow, sunny periods in the following couple of days. The thunderstorm warning is in force. It's 25 degrees, 96% relative humidity. Time's coming up to 8.32. Here's Andy Shirosky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. New research suggests the Arctic is warming significantly more quickly than previously thought, at an, on average four times the rate of the rest of the world. Scientists examined satellite data gathered during the past four decades over the entire Arctic Circle. They found some areas had warmed as much as 1.25 degrees Celsius per decade, or seven times the global rate. The director of science at the British Antarctic Survey, Dr. Anna Jones, told the BBC the breakup of sea ice is driving the climate change in the Arctic. Sea ice in the Arctic has been reducing. It's been melting basically year on year. And you can see how the amount of sea ice has shrunk. So the sea ice is also thinner now than it used to be, say, 20 years ago, because 20 years ago you would have ice that was there for year after year, whereas now if the ice has melted, you're reforming that ice every year. So the whole consistency of that ice is different. The French Prime Minister Elizabeth Bourne has said the fierce wildfires in the southwest of the country are a reminder that France, more than ever, had to combat and adapt to climate disruption. More than a thousand French firefighters are tackling what they've called a monstrous blaze there. A senior official at the UN's World Meteorological Organization, Robert Stefanski, said he hoped it would be a wake-up call to the need to lower emissions of greenhouse gases. And the projections are if, if the greenhouse gas emissions continue unabated, you know, that hot zone or that Mediterranean climate will move north and uh, need to adapt and work together and, and see what we can do to lower emissions. You know, many things that people can do, uh, possibly eat less meat, adapt how you get to work, recycle more, use renewable energies. And at some point also, you know, voting in the politicians that can make change. 
The U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland has defended the Justice Department's decision to seek a search warrant for Donald Trump's residence at Mar-a-Lago earlier this week. Mr. Garland said he had personally approved the move, noting that upholding the rule of law meant applying the law evenly without fear or favor. He said the DOJ would make the warrant public because of the substantial public interest. More from the BBC's Gary O'Donoghue. He came out and made this declaration today simply because of unfounded allegations, as he put it, against the FBI. He wanted to clear up the fact that he made the final decision to instigate that search warrant, to sign off on it. And he wanted to make clear that they usually try and get these sorts of materials by other means. Donald Trump was subpoenaed for the material that the FBI were looking for. They obviously didn't get what they needed, and that's why they went for a judge approved search warrant. You've been listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat with me, Andrew Work and Jim Gould. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. Hey, today? Today is August 12th and we're talking about the challenges facing Hong Kong's young people. The University of Hong Kong and the Child Development Initiative Alliance recently conducted a major study. Young people they surveyed were concerned about their career and life planning due to the pandemic and restricted social movements. And they've been urging the government to offer more opportunities for them to climb up the ladder of life. What do Hong Kong youth need? What more can we offer? We're going to be discussing that today. And then after 9.15, we'll have an overview of Hong Kong's always popular food expo, which will run until next Monday. Hit us with your thoughts, your questions, and your comments on our Facebook page, Backchat at RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or call us at 2338-8266. Uh, we got a great panel today to talk about this study in particular and the future of youth. First, I want to welcome Mrs. Amy Chan, the chairman of the Child Development Initiative Alliance. Good morning. Good morning uh, to everyone. Uh, Welcome aboard. Well, thank you for having me here this morning. <laughs> Absolutely. Great to have you. We're also welcoming Johnson Jung, who is the senior lecturer uh, at the University of Hong Kong's Department of Social Work and Social Administration. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thank you for having me today to share our uh, research to the public. We're going to look forward to getting into it, and we'd like to welcome back to the show, getting to be a little bit of a regular here on Backchat, uh, for good reason, Dr. Rizwan Ola, who is a member of the Youth Development Commission. Good morning, Dr. Ola. Morning, Andrew. Hey, good to hear your voice. Uh, okay, let's, let's kick off with Johnson Jung. You were one of the uh, principal analysts uh, putting together the recent report. Uh, what are some of the key findings from the study this year? All right, thank you. So let me give you some brief information about our study first. Uh, actually, we are having a uh, two part of the study. First part is a quantitative part, and then the other part is a qualitative part. Uh, for the for the results that we launched yesterday, we mainly focus on the qualitative part, which is uh, some in-depth interviews uh, using the focus group method on and to interview a group of young people. So. Uh, uh, th there are some key key highlights of our findings. We, what what we what we find is that young people they don't have much expectation for the society, which, uh, frankly speaking, we are we, this this is not unexpected. But some something that give us a little surprise is that they don't want to lying lying flat, which means you know doing nothing. So uh, we we. We, we, but you can, we can also see that um, because of the social movement and the pandemic, it has uh, greatly affect 
their career life path, and then also they have concerns about uh, social participation. Sure. So can I ask you, what, when you say they don't expect much of society, I, I, I don't really get what that means. Like, I expect things of my, you know, individuals that I know, people I work with, institutions that, you know, are responsible for things like policing or collecting garbage. But wh- what do you mean, so, like, they don't expect much of society? What, what does that yeah. mean? What, what is well, society? Yeah, according to our in-depth conversation with the young people, well, they have hesitations in participating, uh, no matter politically or even socially. So, because they have, they have a lot of uh, trust issue. They they will do. They would. They don't find themselves easy to work with people. They don't. They don't find easy to express their opinions. It 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 did affect their their willingness to to um, to participate and and also affect their expectation for the society. So so, so you mean like yeah. civil civil society and the organizations that make it up? I mean, I, I guess yes, for young course. people in university, like their their student societies have all been wiped out. So. Both, both. That would be a little discouraging. It does seem, though, from uh, reading the report, that the the concept of self-reliance is quite strong among young people. I mean, it says uh, uh, they have uh, less hope in the future of society, but believe that hope must be created by themselves. Yes, exactly. So that's the point that gives us a little surprise. So because, um, generally speaking, I mean, in in, in the public, people might have a stereotypic um, thinking that young people, they lost hope. Uh, entirely, but well, well, when we are speaking to them, um, I, I would, I, I should say, um, our our, our respondents, uh, they don't just come from one say, single homogeneous group. They come from uh, different socioeconomic background, and they also come from different political spectrum. Okay. Some are some are more pro, pro establishment, some are more pro democratic. But then uh, uh, a summary of our observation is that they will count on themselves more. They will rely on themselves more. They will think that they can still do something to, to, to change the future of themselves, even though they might have hesitation in changing the future of the society, but themselves, they will still keen to, to work on. Okay. Uh, Dr. Ali, you know, in addition to your role with the Youth Development Commission, you're, you're vice principal at a, at a high school here in Hong Kong. Does that, uh, you know, did you have a chance to look at the report and is it reflected in what you're seeing among the students in your, your high school? Well, actually, I'm very happy to, uh, to have read this uh, report and also actually happy to see the, uh, the report offering a different narrative as opposed to, you know, there were a few studies very recently talking about, like, the youth would like to be lying flat and all these, you know, narratives. And it was discussed in back chat, I think, uh, a month or two months ago. So I'm very happy to see uh, a different narrative. Now, actually, uh, I, uh, I am happy. I mean, in another way, it's actually we find uh, one of the voices that has actually been, you know, covered. Like, you know, our youth are resilient. They they have their uh, self-reliance. This is very, uh, very important. But I think, uh, like, the, if we go further and uh, look at the uh, situation here uh, from the study and looking at the environment, with this COVID, uh, actually, it has created a lot of impasse where, you know, like our kids are stuck with online learning, uh, have no opportunity to socialize. And this created, you know, a behavior or a cognition that, you know, they have to depend on themselves. I mean, I'm speculating this might be one of the reasons why they are thinking like this. And what we really need right now 
is to think of a whole society approach in youth rejuvenation. You see, like, uh, if we look at how to help our kids, you know, to continue with their exposure, their interests, and also uh, in the society there are a lot of employers, a lot of NGOs, organizations, they have, they want to organize these mentorship and internship, and, and they have not done or unable to do these things, and they are readily available. And this mix and matching is the next step. So uh, uh, I think that you, they have hope, but it's just that, that matching and those opportunities and that communication, these are some key things we need to leverage on after, I mean, based on the study. Mm-hmm. That, that's my initial thinking at the moment. Okay. W- 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 how are you finding the situation with uh, work experience and internships? Because these are obviously very important. I mean, uh, have they been uh, badly affected by pandemic restrictions in the past couple of years? So I think because, like, you see, Hong Kong is pretty much an uh, exam-oriented uh, society. You know, like, uh, all the focus has shifted towards academic learning. Uh, uh, catch up with the, the curriculum because of COVID. And these are some of the things that has been put at the expense. And, uh, uh, and there are many activities, many arrangements that are in place and would like to get these young people on board. And then uh, there is pretty much, I would say, a bottleneck or there are a lot of things which we need to find you to go and get on board. Like there are, like if you say, I would say there are a lot of mentorship opportunities, internship mm-hmm. opportunities. There are many organizations. Like for schools, I can tell you, every day we're receiving circulars, invitations, and a lot of these things. And uh, we need to adopt a whole society approach where we have to get our parents, teachers, and everyone on board to give this exposure to our youth. And then this will actually make them have the hope and trust, as what the study has said, to, to make them, you know, the society is there to support us and we need to expose, uh, get the, the kids to experience these and this will definitely change the discourse and dynamic. Uh, you know, some of the programs you're talking about, Rizwan, uh, I, I think the Child Development Initiative Alliance conducts programs that address some of these, these issues. Uh, Amy Chan, maybe you could tell us a little bit about those and, and how they work. Well, thank you, um, host. Uh, well, I would like to share that uh, the... Uh, uh, our organization, uh, the Child Development Initiative Alliance, or we usually call it by CDIA, we have been conducting a Youth Work Explorer program, and this program has been uh, uh, in operation for the past nine years. Um, we uh, Every year, we um, uh, recruit uh, deprived youths from our community, and then we place them to the various industry in our society uh, for work experience. Uh, this Youth Work Explorer program is a very holistic and uh, systematic um, uh, program uh, because we, when we place the youth to the various industry, uh, we do not uh, draw lots. You know, we actually interview them, we actually train them beforehand, and uh, we assess their interest and uh, potential before we uh, match them uh, to uh, an industry according to their, uh, you know, to their need, really. And uh, the period of the attachment uh, is at least one week. 
and we are recording that at least 20% of the youths will choose to stay with the work for more than two weeks, which is good because the longer they stay in the um, work experience opportunity, the more they learn. Sure. Uh, this uh, program is uh, staunchly supported by the vast uh, business society. For this year, uh, despite the challenges of COVID and also the change of their summer holiday uh, for schools, we still have recorded over 420 applications. And uh, the majority of them uh, have already completed this work experience uh, program for this year. And uh, we have over 150 organizations, big and small, um, in Hong Kong are supporting you know, this program. Um, I'd like to point out that this program is, um, is, is quite unique in a sense because two years ago, uh, the Hong Kong University has uh, uh, done a, uh, an independent scientific um, study on the effectiveness and the impact of this program on our youth. And um, it revealed that uh, uh, for those youth that have completed this program, uh, recorded a significant increase in their career decision self-advocacy, uh, which means um, uh, that, you know, their level of confidence, uh, level of uh, self-motivation, the knowledge uh, to, uh, you know, the interested uh, industry, which means not just the nature of the industry, but also uh, the entry requirement is, uh, and also the requirement that help them, that will help them to move upward, you know, in their future career. Uh, everything recorded a significant increase. So, uh, and this uh, CDSE, uh, Career Decision Self-Advocacy, actually points to uh, the um, uh, self-satisfaction and the happiness uh, of the youth. So if, you know, this program has been proven as a um, as something that can really help our youth and empower them uh, with the um, uh, with with the soft skill and the confidence to move upward, then I would see that this is an excellent opportunity for the government to consider this, to match with the Hong Kong University uh, research report that was released yesterday. Because this report actually revealed on the aspiration of our youth. Our youth, despite this macroeconomic environment or the political environment or the social environment, which nobody can, can, can change, right? But then our youth still want to do something for themselves. Mm -hmm. They would like to move upward. They would like to prove themselves that they are useful. They, are, they wanted a better life for the future. So I, I would look at, you know, this report as an important um, thermometer for the, uh, our society as well as for our government to um, really look at it and see how we can all work together, the business, the government and the community, all join hands to work together to fill this gap of um, uh, um, uh, their need. Just now, Dr. Zhang uh, said, you know, our school mostly focus on academics. Uh, I would like to advocate our society that workplace education 
and also, you know, to um, really um, enhance the ability uh, of our career development education. Uh, all these factors should work in parallel with um, our academic uh, education. Uh, it's interesting to note from uh, your research as well that uh, young people from less well-off families are showing more interest in the finance industry, whereas that wasn't the case in the past. Well, this is one thing that uh, we feel extremely pleased to, uh, to see because uh, when we started this Youth Work Explorer program nine years ago, uh, they, they, on our record, there were only one or two uh, out of a few hundred uh, deprived youths uh, uh, that uh, have the courage, you know, I should say, to choose to enter into the finance side. Uh, we, um, uh, when we talk to them, we understand that the uh, uh, barrier, the apparent barrier, is because uh, they feel that, you know, the, uh, the, 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 there is a language barrier to enter into the finance industry. Sure. Um, the entrance requirement is far too high for, to, for them to, to achieve, so they would uh, try to deviate uh, you know, from, from this so-called very professional and uh, with a high um, academic uh, or um, uh, intellectual requirements uh, kind of work. But then for this year, you know, it is the first time that finance really comes forth on our list after health, medical and health care, after IT, and after creative and design industry. We have 9% out of 400 uh, youths um, raise their hands, uh, indicating that they would like to try uh, to enter into the finance industry. And I think this is, this is a very, very... Um, uh, a good indication that our youth, uh, they, they have the courage and they really want to do something for themselves as well as for the industry. You know, they are yeah. they're encouraged to do so now. It, it, yeah, it seems interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried, though, because, I mean, a, a lot of those, they might want to do finance in Toronto, New York, or London. Uh, the, the get up and go might be to get up and gone. 50% of the respondents said they wanted to leave Hong Kong. I mean, that seems very high. Uh, doctor, well, you know, Professor, Professor Chung, I mean, you, you ran the numbers. Uh, do, do you cross that with other factors to see if it's correlated with some other, some other things uh, you ask about? Well, in, in our in-depth conversation with the young people, actually, uh, they, 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 they have different opinions. Some of them may choose one to leave Hong Kong. Some of them may choose to stay in Hong Kong. But even though, even though for those who choose to stay in Hong Kong, doesn't mean that they are... Optim uh, optimistic about Hong Kong. So uh, what, what our findings tells us is that, is that even though they, for those who choose to stay in Hong Kong, we need to do a lot of work to support them, as uh, Mrs. Mrs. Chen said, how to support them in their uh, personal and career, uh, career development, how to help them in enhancing the, the soft skills in, in workplace, how to do communication and cooperation. So these are things that we think that we, we need to help those young people. And then for those who, ch who choose to leave Hong Kong, and, and in, our, in, in the conversation with the young people, they, um, uh, the reason they choose to leave Hong Kong, they, they might think that they, they want to border the horizon. Of course, for some of them, they think that they have hesitation about the future of Hong Kong. And, uh, but in, in general, in general, uh, the, the answers they, they gave to us is more on about themselves. So I, I would say we still need to have a lot of chance and have a lot of work that we can do to promote that self-development. 
Okay. Um, uh, looking at the, the number one choice was healthcare, and in, in the past, it's in you know, other studies that ask, you know, who is your preferred employer, which is a different question, and government was quite often top of the list. Uh, is there a correlation there? Do people think they can get safe jobs with the hospital authority, and that's, that's a safe, stable, steady job, or, or is healthcare number one because everybody thinks they're going to be a doctor? Because that's like well, the best job ever uh, in, <laughs> in the uh, local culture. Well, I, I don't, uh, uh, I, I, I cannot really uh, speak on behalf of our youth, but some of them uh, indicated that, uh, you know, they are moved because of COVID. The reason is that they're seeing the professional in this industry is doing great work, you know, to help uh, humankind uh, as a whole and also to save lives. And uh, again, this uh, revealed the very, um, positive uh, characteristic, you know, of our next generation. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they are willing to help, you know, they have a, a heart, you know, a humanitarian heart, you know, to uh, offer themselves their knowledge and skill to help others, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so I think there is a relevance between um, whether, uh, you know, they, are, they will get a safe job uh, uh, under these economic challenges, and then this is a professional uh, a, a job and, and so on and so forth. But I think one thing we have to uh, put uh, uh, put credit, you know, to a lot of people because um, we have been educating our youth uh, on what is the context of medical and healthcare. Uh, I remember that, uh, you know, uh, seven or eight years ago when we asked our youth, what do you mean by uh, you want to go into the medical and health and, uh, care mm-hmm. industry? In their mind, they would only think of this industry uh, as only doctors and nurses. Right. But then we correct, you know, their view and we try to expand their horizon by telling them that, you know, there is so many uh, opportunities and, and, and so many professional actually inside this industry, uh, from clinical related to supporting, even to IT, you know, and uh, management. You know, so we actually helped over the years to broaden their view um, and uh, to um, uh, so that they can see options and also how their interest and potential can be matched, you know, to this industry. I think everything helps. And um, and uh, but but, but I, I think this is a good sign because, uh, you know, our society is aging. And also, you know, we are uh, all live, we have been living under the threat of the pandemic for the last three years. Mm-hmm. So we really need a, sta- a stable source of uh, supply uh, of human resources in this area, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and actually, you know, when, when uh, uh, here, I would like to uh, make a point that um, a lot of people, including, you know, um, for example, the government now uh, is now advocating for uh, the policy to address intergenerational poverty. But uh, actually, uh, I think we should actually review the relationship between this uh, societal issue, intergenerational poverty, with youth development. And we have to um, uh, see how we can ride on these two societal issues to make sure that uh, there is a well match between uh, these important uh, human resources to uh, support our economic development. 
Yeah, no, I'd like to remind uh, listeners, we, we actually did a show on intergenerational, uh, breaking the cycle of intergenerational poverty a couple of weeks ago. Dr. Rizwan Ola was on, but unfortunately uh, had to leave us uh, today already. Uh, one of our top fans on Facebook, uh, TC Tong, said the, the direction Hong Kong is heading for has very little to offer for its youth to look up to. Um, you, know, I'm, you know, I know some older people. I've met a few here and there. Um, do they have a different perspective? Do they, do they not? Are they a little, maybe a little bit more discouraged about what they think the future offers the youth versus what youth themselves think? Is there a gap in thinking there, uh, Professor Chung? Well, um, one of the, um, the issues that we would like to address in this, um, in this research is that uh, um, we want to remind the public or the society not only use uh, what they think to put on youth, uh, we, what we want, we really want is uh, us to listen to the youth directly, talk to them directly. But it's very, but, but for now it's very difficult because they have a lot of trust issue. They don't easily talk to people. So in our research, we, we do it on Zoom and then we require them not to switch on the, the camera. We require them not to tell, tell us their name so that they can tell us uh, what they think anonymously. So I, I would say um, uh, I, I would say the public have a lot of stereotypic uh, thinking about what pe- young people are thinking or what they might they might um, they, they might uh, look for. But uh, I, I would say uh, more important is that we actually trying to talk sit down and talk to them, have a coffee, have a nice chat. I, I would say it, it, we will we will we will know more about them, and then we might find ways to help them after the, these kind of conversation. Okay. Well, I know Jim, Jim and I have got some experience in that area. My, my daughters are 16 and 19. Jim's are a, a little bit ahead of me on the, uh, the cycle. Uh, but I think your point about actually talking to and listening to young people is well taken. And that is exactly what we are going to do after the break for the news here at RTHK's Back Chat. Uh, from the first half of our show, I'd like to thank Mrs. Amy Chan, who's the chairman of the Child Development Initiative Alliance, for joining us this morning, as well as Johnson Jung, who's a senior lecturer at the University of Hong Kong's Department of Social Work and Social Administration. Quick hit of the weather before we go to the news. Uh, no surprise, cloudy with showers and a few squally thunderstorms. I definitely got caught in one this morning. Uh, the maximum temperature today around 29 degrees, uh, and it's uh, still going to be showers tomorrow. But maybe getting sunny after that, so hang in there for better weather. The temperature now is 26 degrees Celsius. It's 96% humidity. And now the news. With Andrew Work and Jim Gould. And uh, we've been talking this morning about our future youth prospects off the back of a new report uh, that came out from the University of Hong Kong and the Child Development Initiative Alliance. Uh, And at the closing of the first half, we thought it would be a good idea to talk to an actual young person who we're working on getting online. And she's ready to go. It's uh, Esha Sakina Kosar, a recent DSC grad. Good morning, Esha. Oh, hi. Hi, am I, pronou- am I pronouncing your name properly? Yes, yes, it's Tisha. Tisha. Yeah. Okay, great. So I'm Andrew, this is Jim, and thank you very much uh, for coming on the show. Uh, we understand you just recently graduated and you yes. also participated in one of the CDIA programs. Is that correct? Yes, yes, right. So, what was your experience of that program? Uh, it was actually a very great experience. It was my first time going to an actual law firm uh, in a uh, quite big company. So I actually learned a lot in those five days. I mean, the period was short, but uh, the learning, like every second was a learning process for me. So they tried to manage 
they tried to manage to teach me everything in those five days, including uh, how to uh, sort different files. Like most of the work they were teaching was uh, the HR, the HR department, because I told them that I wanted to become an HR one day. So uh, they actually taught me something about HR, and there was something that I didn't know about HR. Like there was a uh, like a teaching uh, program in HR as well. So uh, not only you have to conduct interviews and sort files, and uh, you you also have to teach people, which is a great thing for me because it's like all in one that is my strength because I like teaching people and I like to communicate with other people. And yeah, and I love to write emails. So it was great for me. So I think it's a very great experience to... um, uh, learn all of this stuff in one go. Yeah. So, are you still interested in, in uh, working in HR, or, or do you, do you have a, an interest now in the law? Uh, I think it's uh, in business administration, like mm-hmm. the whole business, like not an actual law firm, but yeah, in business because they taught me about finance department uh, and uh, I also learned about the reception work and the secretary's work. So it was actually, um, yeah, I learned a lot and discovered a lot. So, yeah, and I thought about it. I think HR might be a very good option for me. Did you? Did they give you a sense of what it would take to get into that kind of a job or that role, uh, you know, like in terms of education and then how you apply? Did, did, you, did you get a sense of how that works? Uh, not really. I actually didn't have time to uh, really ask, ask that, uh, how the qualification works. But hopefully, um, if I get bachelor in business administration, which I just applied, mm-hmm. applied, and then I think I'll apply for several companies and see if that works out. Gotcha. So, so Isha, when you were growing up in Hong Kong, what what were your aspirations in terms of uh, your future career, and and did this uh, experience uh, in the HR department of the firm uh, change the way you think about it? Oh, yeah. Actually, uh, when I was young, I always wanted to become an English teacher because uh, from people's uh, view, uh, everyone looked at me as uh, my, like, they think English is my friend and I should become a teacher. I don't know why, but my friends think I'm a teaching material. Like, they think I teach people quite good because I have taught some kids in my uh, school, like the uh, young young students at our school, we we as um, upper forms have to teach them and they think I am actually good at teaching. So that's also uh, actually my strength, but I saw many of my friends also have done teaching in early childhood and I wanted to do something different. So I was very confused at this point after graduation. So, you know, uh, I got this business idea when it was in June, like this year, in June, I had this idea that I want to try out business. So it was very sudden. I mean, everything was sorted, jupas. I applied for many universities only for education. I didn't apply business for any universities. So it was like, it was not until now I just applied for business, and luckily I was selected by the university. And uh, I guess you got—you must have gotten a sense that uh, there's a certain element of training and teaching in, in within HR as well, huh? Yes. So uh, how about how about your friends and your your peer groups? Uh, you know, the people you hang out with. 
you know, would you say they are, how are they feeling about their future? Are they, are they uniformly optimistic about it? Some optimistic, some pessimistic, are they up or down? I mean, what, um, what's the sense of the yeah, people you hang uh, with? They are actually, yes, some of my friends were very, very, I think it's very normal as they are also my age mm-hmm. and we all are uh, same recent graduate and we were all very, very confused as well. So, because I think many people had many opinions, like our, uh, the people who uh, graduate, like there, I, I have some friends that have graduated last year or two years ago, and then they have different opinions. They're like, no, don't do business. That's no good. You're not going to get a job in the future. And some said, oh, teacher is a stable job. Go do that. And I, I had, like, it was very confusing for us because many people had different opinions. They're don't listen to her, don't listen to her, don't listen to him. It's like, it was very, uh, very confusing for us. Yeah. So we actually had to um, uh, listen to all their opinions, and at last we had to listen to ourselves. Because, yeah, because everyone's opinions are different and unique, and you have to listen to yourself. This is, I was okay with it, but there were some of my friends that listened to them, and because of them, they changed their career plans. Like from social work, now she is doing health. Because some people said, oh, um, uh, social work is very hard. And mm. then she actually changed yeah. her major into uh, health. You, you and I don't know what she's going to do in the future if she, uh, if she thinks it's going to be hard for her. So, yeah. You, you might want to let your friends looking into teaching know uh, we've got a declining student population in Hong Kong, so it might not be that stable after all. I, I wrote an article years ago about how... Uh, Young people were told teaching was a stable job. Not so much in Hong Kong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, when schools are being closed here and there. Um, so, so yeah. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of confusion out there. You, you said yeah. that people told you that you're, you were really good at yeah, that English language was your specialty. Yeah. We've talked on the show before that for some people, if you're good at English, it might mean that your Cantonese is not as good, and that might be a problem in the job market. Is that, is that something you have friends that are worried about that? Actually, I have always studied in a local school from kindergarten. So actually, I actually think that my Cantonese is better than English. But in, in people's eyes, actually, they think because I am also like local, like English language was uh, my third language. Mm. The second language was actually Cantonese. So my English, because in local schools, they often speak English. And even in English lessons until Form 6, teachers use Cantonese while teaching English. That is so funny. And then I couldn't learn. I actually couldn't learn because I couldn't, uh, because students couldn't keep up with the English. Mm-hmm. That's why it, we, it, it affected us as well. Right. Because I wanted to improve my English as well. But I couldn't because I have to uh, also... Uh, they also have to um, look uh, look out for them, and because of that, my English, I think it's quite bad. No, that's and I still need to improve. You're talking you're talking like a native from where I'm sitting. You know, I was going to say if, if uh, HR and teaching don't work, you, maybe you should try radio. You've got great radio presence. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, I love presenting ideas. I'm a very social person. I have done. Uh, yeah, I love pre- presentation. I also want to be a motivational speaker one day. That's one of my dreams. Okay. I love motivating people. Okay, okay. Well, that, that, that's great to hear. In, in terms of your own development, I mean, how did you find that this uh, work experience, uh, exposure to a real life at workplace, helped in terms of you know, uh, self confidence, uh, outlook? 
Yeah, I'm actually very confident after that uh, work experience because it was my first time going to a real workplace. And I was very scared. I didn't know how people are going to react after because I wear hijab, like because of my religious purpose. I wear hijab and I, my clothes are different. Um, okay. And I didn't know how are they going to react. Mm. Uh, so on the first day, um, I went there and then I was quite nervous as well. A bit excited, but nervous. Uh, and then I saw some people, uh, some workers there, and then they generally smiled at me, even though, like, far from me, and then they smiled at me, which actually made me very happy. Mm. Actually, it was very good. Like, oh, I'm being accepted by themselves, uh, by them, which, which is a very good thing, despite my looks, despite how I, uh, where I'm from, despite my backgrounds, they still accept me the way I am. And on the fourth day, I wore like uh, uh, I wore my own um, traditional clothes, and they didn't mind at all. And then, yeah, and on the fifth, by the end of the week, I was confidently walking in that workplace, and that's how comfortable I was in that. Mm, I've got a I've got a comment from our Facebook page. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, so people can read it on the on the page if they want to check it out. But he, he's. Uh, John is basically questioning the, the value of a one-week work experience. He thinks it, uh, he thought it might not be so useful, but it sounds like you, uh, it really was quite vital for you. Yeah. Do you, do you want to, uh, if, if, you, if you think they treated you right, do you want to tell us uh, what, which, do you want to name the law firm? Give them a little, uh, give them a little credit? Uh, yeah, it's the Freshfields. Mm. Oh, uh, Freshfields. In, yeah, Freshfields. It's in Quarry Bay. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. It's one of the big, one of the big, is that a magic circle firm? Yeah. That's a British term I've learned. I don't really know what it means. <laughs> that's something that lawyers in Britain know about. So, so that's great. So, um, so are you going to be able to keep in touch with the people there if you have questions? Did they make themselves available? But they're like, you know, if you have questions, give us a call. Yeah, I do have their email right now. I think, I mean, uh, yeah, I can still email them. Yeah. Afterwards, if I have some questions. Mm-hmm. Have you, for for friends of yours that haven't done a program like this, what? Are you able to talk with them about it and kind of give them a different perspective? What do you, what do you tell them? Yeah, uh, I actually was very excited after the whole week. And then they would keep asking me. And then I actually had to video call them. Like, I had lunch break in the Freshfields. And then they were like, oh, my God, this place is awesome. And then I was video calling them. And then I was calling because I was alone at lunchtime. I was eating. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to call them. And I'm going to call my friends. And they were all very happy for me. They're like, oh, because we friends. As a group, we are very supportive. Like, if uh, I got an opportunity here, they are always very happy for me. And then they, if they get an opportunity like this, we are always very happy uh, for them, and we help out. And then, yeah, we, yeah, it is so good that there are supportive friends mm-hmm. uh, here. And would you? Uh... Would you would you be looking to help them with similar types of opportunities? Like if they went yes. to interview for an internship, you'd be like, oh, I've, I know the ropes. I'm going to tell you guys yeah, yeah, what to yeah. do. Like, I would love to help them like, because I also love to help people, anyone. Because I think, um, uh, so I've always believed after you die, it's not the money that will go with you. It's the good deeds that will go with you. People will remember by your deeds, your good deeds. So I have never done anything for money. I think if you do things for good deeds, that's what my religion, my belief also tells me to do, that you're going to do, if you can help, 
you should help. I have the ability to help, then I should help. I have always had this prayer on my mind. I just want to be this successful that I can, I will, I'll be able to help people. Yeah, this successful. I don't need uh, a lot of money to uh, for myself, but I just want to be able to help. That's why I want to earn. Well, and, uh, yeah, and provide for my family and myself, yeah. Fantastic. So it sounds like it was a really, really great experience. Uh, maybe we'll have to check in with you at some point in the future and just see see where things are going. I mean, you've, you've made me you're very curious. You said you want to be a motivational speaker. You've, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you've certainly motiv- motivated me a little bit more this morning, <laughs> well, well beyond what my usual coffee does. So uh, I want to say thank you very much, Isha Sakina Kosar. Good luck with the next phase in your life. Yeah, thank you, and good luck. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, we're going to go now to uh, we're going to go now to our next topic of the day. We're talking about the Food Expo, which you know it's COVID. It's got a little twist on it. Uh, see, but no taste. Some people weren't too happy with that. Richard uh, Richard on our uh, Facebook page said, "How can you have a Food Expo and not allow people to taste the food?" Another total farce brought to you by the uh, FEHD Food and Environmental Hygiene Department. And then that prompted an email from James, who said, I completely agree with the comment by Richard on Facebook regarding food expos, see but don't eat. Uh, a new jointly uh, policy to tackle obesity. Again, I'm curious for all the costs involved in staging such an exhibition for food, but people cannot eat. And which companies benefited, such as the events and PR firms? Well, it still seems like some people were enthusiastic. I heard there were people lining up overnight to get into this thing. Uh, today, now we're joined by Simon Wong, who's the president of the Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades. Uh, good morning, Simon. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Simon, uh, I'm going to guess that you've been to the Food Expo. This mm-hmm. is probably a big deal for you every year. Uh, what's What's the deal this year? What's uh, What's the vibe? Oh, yeah, I, I was uh, at the opening, opening ceremony yesterday, and um, I saw that, um, well... Uh, uh, I arrived there, there at around um, 10 o'clock in the morning, and I already see a lot of people lining up uh, to trying to get into uh, the food expo. Uh, the thing is, um, uh, people have to uh, follow some uh, steps before they can get in. Uh, but uh, having said that, um, people are willing to uh, line up, and they don't, you know, they they are not too concerned about. Um, you know, showing uh, uh, the uh, the leave home safe apps, etc. Uh, but um, I uh, I've been talking to a lot of uh, uh, exhibitors, and um, before they uh, already knew that um, you know food uh, or beverage uh, uh, well were, are not allowed uh, uh, to be served. Um, you know, during Food Expo. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, you know, when visitors um, visit uh, Expo, uh, which is, uh, you know, the food and beverage related, then, you know, the, they all expect that they might um, be able to taste uh, some good food. Yeah. Um, because I see that, you know, the, there are actually three kinds of people um, trying to get into the food expo every year uh first of all some people are looking for uh, special offers um for some um, you know because like uh, especially this year uh, uh since the exhibitors cannot um, serve uh, you know the, or sample some uh, food and drink then uh, they have to make very special offers for their products 
Mm. Uh, so some people are looking for that. And some people are looking for new products. And I, I saw that yesterday, um, you know, I have been, you know, the, joining the, the VIP tour around uh, the, exhibi- the exhibition. And I realized that, you know, there are uh, some uh, pavilion or some, um, you know, exhibitors, uh, they uh, can't, they could not uh, uh, show up like last year because of the COVID. Mm. Um, you know, they have to uh, have uh, seven days quarantine right. um, when they uh, came to Hong Kong. Uh, but um, having said that, uh, the, I, I saw that the Japanese uh, pavilion and with their exhibitors, um, they, you know, uh, a lot of, of uh, those visitors, uh, you know, the, uh, travel a long way from Japan and mm-hmm. uh, join the, the food expo. And even they have to, uh, uh, you know, go through the seven, seven days uh, quarantine period. Last year. Um, but um, overall speaking, the exhibitors are quite happy mm. uh, with the turnout uh, yesterday. So, and it seems that the number of people uh, entering uh, the uh, expo yesterday um, was uh, more than last year. So, yeah, you're saying that, um, okay, so you've got three types. You've got your discount shoppers, consumers. You've got your uh, people that are looking for new products. And then you've got exhibitors, and, international And also some people uh, you know, are, are sourcing for new products because mm-hmm. uh, some traders and some companies uh, are looking for new products for mm-hmm. their portfolio. Yeah, so this is what I'm getting at. Is this more of a, this is more of a consumer expo mm-hmm. or business-to-business expo? Actually, this is a consumer expo. But um, uh, because, uh, you know, like exhibitors, um, actually they have, Source a lot of products from uh, other countries or other regions, and uh, they want just to to show the products to people. Um, even though it's a consumer show, but this is also a window uh, for uh, traders. Um, it's not a trade show, of course, but um, <coughs> uh, you know, uh, traders you know uh, would not want to miss uh, this opportunity to see. Uh, and to find new products. Mm. And, um, you know, it is kind of uh, encouraging uh, because uh, I saw the good turnout of the, of the visitors. Mm. And uh, apart from the food expo, actually there are a few exhibitions um, holding uh, at the same time, uh, like the International Tea Fair and um, other consum- consumer uh, uh, product show. Uh, and uh, medical show, etc. You, you, you mentioned new products. So, what caught your eye? What, what stood well, out? What uh, stood out for like you? I, um, uh, I, I, I uh, went in. Uh, I went to some uh, booths like mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Gourmet Song area, mm-hmm. and they did have uh, some very good um, and new products, which are quite shiny to our eyes, mm-hmm. uh, like the wine from Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the exhibitor lists out or display uh, so many different types of, uh, um, you know, the, the wine bottles is, yeah. is very special. Mm-hmm. And uh, like uh, even for the Japanese uh, exhibitors, um, you know, the, the, the fruit, 
the or the picture and and many uh, food uh, products they show uh, are quite well uh, to to my eye uh, delicious of. of of course, I cannot taste it, but mm. you know it looks so good. And mm-hmm. <laughs> any, any crazy, any crazy stuff like twenty thousand dollars square watermelons from Japan? Any of that kind of crazy stuff? Uh, not that type of crazy stuff, but I I did see I did, I did see a lot of uh, exhibitors launch uh, you know some one dollar uh, product sales for their products like the abalone, mm. and uh, people rushing. To, to the booth and try to grab uh, those uh, abalone uh, you know, it's uh, very crazy you know? yeah. and uh, there are a lot of other exhibitors also launching uh, $1 uh, offers to the uh, consumers yeah, and, so, what, uh, so, so what were a lot of exhibitors uh, doing good business do you think because uh, I mean uh, you know, for in, in terms of the Hong Kong public I mean uh, you know, people are now armed with another uh, you know the the, the latest uh, consumption vouchers to spend. Oh yeah, uh, I I did talk to uh, some exhibitors and they mentioned to me that uh, because of the consumption voucher, uh, they expect the business uh, would be better than uh, last year. And uh, while well, this is the fact, in fact, uh, the uh, uh, the exhibitors. Uh, told me, uh, you know, for, of course, not all the exhibitors, but uh, most of them um, uh, told me that their business uh, has increased uh, due to the consumption voucher. Mm. Uh, this is good, um, you know, for the exhibitors and also uh, you know, uh, for Food Expo uh, uh, in the coming few days because uh, Saturday and Sunday, uh, will be uh, the peak time for visitors coming in, uh, to visit the expo. Uh, yesterday actually is the first day of the expo. Um, uh, it's crowded, but not as crowded um, as um, you know the, during the weekend. Uh, but we expect that um, there will be more people coming uh, to the expo during the weekend. That's when it gets really crazy, right? So. So, okay, how about this whole, like, not allowed to eat anything? It's like, are some exhibitors secretly relieved because now they're not competing and they can just, like, do straight sales and not have to mess around with extra setup of, like, cooking elements or, you know, refrigeration? Uh, They're like, oh, good, I could just go in there and sell. Or are they, you know, talking amongst each other on the trade floor, like, oh, this is the worst. I really, you know, I want want my chef in here cooking it up and putting on a show, you know, and everybody gathered around to have a little taste. Or, Or is it a mix of yeah. those, or, or I mean, is everybody dying well, I, for the tasting to come yeah, back? Uh, all the exhibitors are quite uh, cooperative, and uh, they follow the regulations. They don't want to mess up with uh, the, the regulations. Yeah, but are they and, happy? I mean, of course, of course, they're going to follow the rules. But are they happy? About yes, it? Or is yes, there a lot of grumbling? Um, you know, the, even though you cannot uh, taste the samples, but uh, uh, a lot of uh, exhibitors, you know, the put. Uh, the sample food in uh, little, uh, you know, bag or uh, a little container, you know, just give away to uh, the the visitors uh, so they can carry uh, those uh, little containers, uh, you know, and and try the food uh, after they leave the venue. Um, 
Okay, so if the exhibitors just give you a little sample, and like, are people like walking two feet away and trying it out, and then coming back to buy? Are there are there like tasting police running around slapping people with fines if they like sneak a little a little taste out of their their sample that they get? Uh, yes. They, oh, there are. The, there are food well, police. No, of course. You first of all, you cannot taste the samples uh, on the spot. Um, but uh, for some, uh, it's a bitter because um, you know the taste or smell is very good, or you know it's very critical for them to promote the product. As I saw some exhibitors even. Um, uh, you know, the, set up a, a little stove and then boil uh, the soup uh, in front of uh, people, but uh, they uh, just did not uh, serve uh, the, the food uh, to the visitors. Um, but the, the smell of the food uh, did attract a lot of people, you know, um, crowding, uh, you know, uh, in their booth. Um, and of course, there's... Um, all the visitors actually, um, um, while well, they have been noticed that uh, they cannot eat uh, uh, food inside the venue, and they must wear a face mask uh, all the time. Mm. And um, because of the special offers for uh, the products or the items, then, um, you know, people seem... You know, to get used to to this regulation, and uh, they still buy a lot of things. And you know, you can see people when leaving uh, the expo, they carry uh, on their hands, uh, you know, different bags, and you know, uh, they they look very happy. Yeah, I mean, Hong Kongers love food and they love shopping. Although I have to admit, it is a little reminiscent from Greek mythology. I'm sure one of our listeners could put it on our Facebook page. The guy that was hung up on a tree in Hades with the food and water just out of reach for eternity. Every time he tried to grab it, he, it would recede just out of reach. Uh, I'll leave, leave you with that happy image of Greek hell. Uh, with si we've been talking to Simon Wong, the president of the Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades. Thank you, Simon, for joining Thank us. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's going to be a wrap for Back Chat today. Thank you to all our listeners, especially those that called and sent in emails, got on our Facebook page. Big thank you to my co-host today, Jim Gould. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Andrew. Nice one. Yeah. Thanks to uh, producer Yuki Tsang and our new sound man, Ming. First time with me, anyways. Uh, I'm going to make sure you tune in Monday for more.